kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Welcome to episode 11, I think it is, of uh, Love That Album. I'm officially into the double digits. Uh, very, very exciting for me. And what's doubly exciting for me is I've got a new partner for uh, tonight's show, and um, hopefully he'll uh, agree to uh, come on lots of times on the show this year. Uh, my special guest is uh, a, a fellow who's been doing his own podcast for quite some time. His name is Michael Persh, and he's the host of a show called sitting in a bar in Adelaide. Welcome to the show, Michael Persh. Thank you, Maurice. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well. How's yourself? I'm very well. It's been a, a lovely, balmy Sunday in Adelaide. Oh, same, same here in Melbourne, I can tell you, but I take away the word lovely. I'm, I'm not a hot weather person. <laughs> well, it depends what you, where you are and what you're doing, I guess. Actually, it's often like something like, I, I didn't check the weather today, but it looks like it, it's, from my memory, about four or five degrees warmer in Adelaide than it usually is in Melbourne. I remember, you know, the, the big bushfires that we had a few years ago, two, three years ago, and it was always, you know, as bad as we had it down here, you know, the, with, with the weather, it was somewhat worse over there. Do you manage to cope? Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. But we just don't get the four seasons in one day like you do. So if Tim, yeah. if Neil Finn lived here, he'd, uh, the song would be rather dull, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, you know, well, we inspired a song, so... Uh, Oh, very good. Um, so, oh, before we uh, go any further into the show, maybe want to give just a little bit of a background as to what's sitting in a bar in Adelaide for those uh, folks out there who are listening to this and hearing you for the first time. Give them a bit of a run through about uh, what your show's all about. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think we've been doing sitting in a bar in Adelaide for for five or six years now, and it's 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 sort of morphed into a. Uh, pretty much an interview show. I, I started off, I guess, for six months just finding my feet and uh, and a friend of mine that uh, that actually lives in Melbourne now ran a, um, a fanzine, so a free magazine that you'd pick up in a record store back yeah. in the days when there were record stores. <laughs> and um, and I remember speaking to him and uh, he'd just done an interview with uh, with Nicky Six from Motley Crue. Yep. And uh, and I just I just emailed him and said, you know, how on earth did you get an interview with uh, one of the guys from Motley Crue? And he said, I asked. <laughs> and the light bulb went on, and and I just sort of went from there, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've I've spoken to you know my rock and roll heroes all around the world that I never thought in my wildest dreams that mm. I would that I would say hello to, but but also I get to you know say hello to a lot of new bands and and get exposed to a lot of great new music that I wouldn't necessarily get to hear. So it's a lot of fun for me, and I uh, I hope the uh, the people listening enjoy it as well. And do you find that most of the artists who um who you've asked, they're, they're pretty good-natured about it, or do they often think, well, you know, it's just another opportunity for us to plug product? I, I think, especially from folks from overseas, it's uh, the opportunity to, to speak to someone from Australia is is really uh, exciting for them. A lot of the, I, I guess, more than half of the 
the artists I've had on the show have never played in Australia. So, uh, and they all, without uh, without exception, have have heard from other artists or, or somebody that you know Australia is a great place to come and play, mm. and they they're all dying to come here and play if they haven't been here. So, you know, that seems to be a, a, a common theme, which is really interesting. Mm. And have you had many uh, like return visits, many artists who gotten back in contact with you and said, look, it's been a couple of years since we spoke. Um, can we speak again, or have you had success that way? Yeah, I've got a few. I've got a a, um, a few um, a few in London and a, and a couple of guys in the states that are that are really that keep in touch and and sort of keep me informed of what they're doing. Um, uh, for instance, Mick Rogers is a, is a guy that folks may know. He uh, he's he, he's an English guy, but he he came to Australia in the sixties uh, as part of Normie Rose Band mm. and ended up playing as a session muso in Melbourne in the early 70s and played with the likes of Rene Geyer and Doug Parkinson, but uh, went back to England and was uh, an integral part of Manfred Mann's Earth Band for, yes. probably for years and years. And, and he's, just been, uh, he's just been shooting me stuff constantly. So, you know, that's an example of, uh, of someone that's uh, really looked after me very well. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, so how can the... Um, how can the we'll, we'll do this again at the end of the show, but... Um, uh, just let uh, the listeners know how can they track you down. Um, yeah, well, uh, the the show streams from a uh, a, uh, a media sh- company in San Francisco called Mevio M E V I O. So it's Adelaide Rock Show at Mevio dot com, or sitting in a bar in Adelaide. If you Google it, it's on iTunes and and all the the hundreds of podcast directories that are kicking around there. So hopefully, it's not too hard to find. Mm-hmm. I- I mean, the thing that's um, really nice about, uh, I, I think, both of our shows, I mean, I, I tried doing some research, and I would have thought that there would have been an absolute shitload of programs out there doing a similar thing to what we're doing. And certainly there are lots of music shows where um, they're previewing new music and more power to them, but um, it, it didn't seem to me... I, I found uh, maybe two shows where they spoke... Uh, about uh, records, well, so like in you know, one case, it was I think a show that was uh, from England, and they I think they were extinct; they'd gone the way of the dinosaur. And there's a great show that comes out of Chicago called Sound Opinions, but they don't necessarily talk about specific albums, or at least not all the time. But they find a different topic each week. But they're more like a professional radio show that just happens to make its way onto the web. But there seems to be very little in the way of like interview shows like what you're doing or album review shows like you know what we're doing here so um i don't know maybe we've cornered the market maybe uh, you know the, the few shows that i've that i found over the years seem to be also very narrowly focused on on a specific type of music and 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 i guess what attracted me to 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 listen to your show was you you cover you know some really different stuff and and that's you know it's great to hear music that you know and 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 know something about but it's also great to be introduced to things that you don't know so Mm. hopefully my show does that as well well what i'm planning on doing with the show this year i sort of alluded to this in the last one um and that's like up until now it's been like albums which i know really really well and love a lot and you know i'll still be doing a lot of that but i think i'd also like to um mix it up a little bit make it a little bit dangerous for myself and um you know maybe get you know yourself and some of uh, the other correspondents who you know come on the show to uh recommend an album to me that i might know by reputation or may not know even at all and i just have like a week to get acquainted with it so it will be a touch of the other person coming on it with something that they've really loved for years and my 
initial impression, you know, so like, I think the next program I'm going to be doing of Suzanne Vega album, Solitude Standing, with uh, one of my regulars, Jeff Smith, and uh, he thought that that was an album that he knew, but it was actually the first one. So I said, right, well, you've got a, a week or two to pick up on it, and then uh, we'll do it like this. But, you know, I've got to be prepared to, to uh, cop the same, I think so. I look forward to that. That is a great album indeed. Mm. All right. Um, so while we're talking albums, uh, before we go into, um, I should actually mention the subject of uh, our discussion tonight is going to be uh, San Francisco-based uh, band, or at least they were for um, a good chunk of their career, The Tubes, and uh, their album Remote Control, which um, we'll, we'll discuss this later on, but it seems to be more relevant than ever, I think, the uh, the themes touched on that. But uh, before we go into that, um, what have you been listening to uh, lately? Uh, well, well, yeah, a mixed bag of stuff. And I, I, first up, I've, I've just finished reading uh, a great biography by... Uh, by a, 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 I think he's an English journalist. His name's Barney Hoskins. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. He, and wrote, just, he wrote a book on the band called Across the Great Divide. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, I've just, re, re, uh, just read his book uh, called Low Side of the Road, the life of, A Life of Tom Waits, <laughs> I've seen which is, that. <laughs> is magnificent. It really is a great book. And, and it's got me, although I've, I've actually got Bad As Me, the new Waits album, and I've I've really only listened to it briefly once, but it's just got me uh, on a bit of a Tom Waits fest at the moment. So I've gone back and, and listened to Heart Attack and Vine again and, and listened to Blue Valentine again and, and just forgotten what a great songwriter he is. You know, the thing I liked about that uh, new album, I mean, there's, there's always something to like on a Tom Waits album, but I can't remember the song now because I, I haven't sort of like listened to the album since the start of the new year. But um, I, I think we discussed this a couple of shows back that there were one or two tunes on the album that even sounded like Electra era Tom Waits. I mean, you know, nothing wrong with what he's been doing the last 20, 30 years. It's all fantastic and really wonderful stuff. But I tend to get a little bit sentimental about, you know, albums that you mentioned like, you know, Blue Valentine or, my, I mean, my favourite album of his is The Heart of Saturday Night. And there's one, one or two tracks on this album that sort of go back to that stylistically, which I think he's avoided for a long time. And it's, just sort of nice to see that he's, I don't know if he's getting sentimental about it or it just happened to work out that way. But that's a, I, I'm sort of surprised that he had that talent to be able to knock up songs in that style and that he completely turned his back on it. But it's nice to see that he's sort of coming back even just a little bit towards that. Mm. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. But it's he's one of those guys that, you know, had had totally reinvented himself with Heart Attack and Vine and, mm. and to... And and the amount of young bands that I that I speak to on my show that that will name check Tom Waits and and it's like wow this guy was you know had been around a long time when I was a teenager so mm, it's mm. really interesting and I, one you know one I guess a common theme that I love about Tom Waits is he he he, he conjures up characters and 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 visual pictures of Americana that 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 Springsteen does as well and, and maybe Warren Zevon does as well. And, and I love that. I guess it's there's something still exotic about, you know, I, um, Nebraska is one of my favourite Springsteen records. Like mm. tunes like Atlantic City and Johnny Ninety Nine, they conjure up that 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 Americana thing. And, yes. and make Zevon's um, Mr. Bad Example is one of a, a favourite Zevon album of mine. And there's a tune on there called uh, Boom Boom Mancini about yep. a boxer. And it's it's the same thing. Waits does that for me, and um, yeah, I guess there's something exotic about that. Whether, it, whether I'm, I'm not sure if folks in in the United States feel the same way. Mm, mm. Oh, look, I, I gather the feeling that um, 
that, that a, a lot of people in the state still feel very sentimental about him. Um, and, uh, you know, like bootlegs that I've seen in uh, recent years, you know, from uh, bootleg DVDs or, or audio CDs, uh, he's, um, he's still pulling them in. He's, um, I mean, I'd be interested to know, though, who the audience is, whether, you know, the, how, how much of the audience is... Um, you know, the people you know of our age who sort of like been listening for years and years and uh, I, mean, I mean musically he's he, he's been an innovator it's it's to say he's still relevant is is um, probably an understatement it's probably not even the right thing to say because he's been such an innovator and he paved the way for these bands which sort of you know we always say oh yeah they're the modern sound but really without him you sort of wonder where a lot of um, uh, a lot of contemporary bands would sound so um, no, he, he's yeah, definitely still, I think, uh, got a strong following. And for that matter, actually, I was speaking to someone a couple of years ago when he released that three CD um, set of, uh, what was it called? Brawlers, Ballers and Bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, and a um, uh, guy who works in a CD store here in Melbourne uh, had told me that he'd seen on YouTube um, a, 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 a press conference that he'd gone and done uh, at the outset of the release of the album and said, he's just one of the funniest buggers around. You know, if he quits music, he could really be a stand-up comic. And I've seen, I've seen um, uh, his VH1 uncut, well, not uncut, um, sorry, VH1 Storytellers uh, performance from, I don't know, the early to mid-80s uh, or maybe it's the late 80s or something like that. And you know, this guy, he's not wrong. He really is a funny, funny guy. Um you know, obviously through the song is a great storyteller. And there's a couple of spoken word tracks on that three CD set, which just really tear your heart apart. It's just how he, how, he, how he does it. He can make you cry, but yeah, he's also very, very funny. So, so you reckon the biography is worth a good read? It really is. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's, um, I guess it, I'm not sure how different it would have been if it would have been written by Tom, but um, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But um, yeah, there's a lot, you know, a lot of quotes from from different folks that have, have been in the band and, and folks that he's worked with. And yeah, you know, for for someone that and I didn't, I guess Tom Waits is one of those guys that I've I've liked since I first I first heard him when he first came to Australia in '78. Mm. Um, but I didn't know anything about him at all. So I found just the the sort of backstory is really interesting. Mm. Did you um, watch back in the day the Don Lane show? And for those of you who are listening from overseas, Don Lane was uh, an American expatriate, you know, moved to Australia, moved to Melbourne and sort of did a Johnny Carson type Tonight show, which ran for about eight or nine years and uh, was hugely popular. And he had, you know, the cream of local and overseas performers and Tom Tom Waits perform. So did you see that? I did, and it's uh, it's actually on YouTube, and it's oh, worth okay. a look. It is so funny. Do you do you remember it? I, I look, I do, and I remember uh, how old was I? Maybe about fourteen years old at the time, and I'd never seen anyone like him before. <laughs> never, and and um, just as another little side story, my wife, um, I think you know, years ago, while we were sort of uh, killing a couple of months before we were going to go overseas, and she needed a part time job, she worked in a stationery store in Melbourne. And she was speaking with one of the fellows um, who, uh, who who worked there, and you know, jo- my wife Joanne had said that she was a big Tom Waits fan, and the guy said, "Oh yes, when he was in Australia, he walked into the store," and and Joanne said, "Oh really? What was he like?" She said, "Oh, well, he 
came in stinking of wine and he wore that trench coat and Joe said, you know, thank God, I'd hate to think it was all an act. So, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a fantastic interview because you and, – and looking back on it now, it, you know, it's, it's obvious that Don Lay knew nothing about Tom Waits at all really and Tom Waits was just so funny and, mm, and Don's reaction was just brilliant. Yeah, it's well, well worth looking at it again. All right. Uh, so what else have you been listening to? Um, actually, I, I picked up a, a CD by uh, an American guitarist by the name of Leslie West. who, who oh, I, from, from Mountain. Yeah, and I had never heard of the guy. Mm, mm. Totally passed me by. And, and um, I came to him via Zach Wilde, who uh, folks probably know as the, uh, the uh, long-standing guitar player with Ozzy Osbourne's band. Mm. Um, but... Um, his his newest album is called Unusual Suspects and and just has the cream of sort of I guess classic rock guitar players on it um, Slash and Zach and uh, Joe Bonamassa and um, and Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and um, as I said I never heard of Leslie West and it's 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 quite an interesting record having um, and I've since then I've gone and, and sort of done a bit of research and and found out you know a bit more about Mountain and. And how they they were sort of around the same time as Cream and and really fell in and I guess in the shadow of Clapton and Cream a little bit, which I I thought was really interesting. But I just was fascinated that a guy can be so well known in America and, and had never never heard of the guy in Australia. So uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting album. It's 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 quite bluesy and I guess ZZ Top ish. Mm. Um, but I yeah yeah really found it quite interesting and the 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 tune. The one tune on it that I that I when I read the the album to, the the song titles I thought um, it's got a cover of the Beatles tune I feel fine and instantly my reaction was you know cringe why would you even think to do a Beatles cover because they never work. Oh, and, well, well, we'll have to do a whole show to discuss that. I maybe, maybe disagree. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but but I listened to I feel fine expecting to just despise it. And I think it's the best song on the album. They've done a great job. Totally reworked it. It's yeah. It's so you know. I had to. I had to eat my words. It's mm. um, yeah. But interesting. But I, you know, I'm not sure. Well, you obviously heard of him, but I yeah certainly passed me by. Look, I, I, I don't profess to sort of be a huge fan or know terribly much about him. But I remember um, years ago on um, SBS uh, television, they'd gone and put together a compilation of performances from the uh, German uh, rock music show of the uh, late 60s, early 70s called Beat Club. And I think he was a guest uh, performer on that. Um, and also one of um, uh, Melbourne's um, uh, legendary broadcasters, and I'm, I'm very honoured to have had him as uh, you know, a guest on Love That Album, Billy Pinnell. I know he's a huge fan of Le Leslie Western Mountain. And uh, I mean, I, I'm surprised I didn't even know he was still around, never mind still recording music. So uh, that's very exciting. I might have to give Billy a call and um, see uh, what his thoughts are about the album. Hmm, interesting. Mm. As, as I said, there's all, it's always a voyage of discovery. You never know when something's going to pop up. Oh, look, those are the best albums. Those are the best things you know, where you've never heard of the folks before. Um, I think a few years ago, I walked into um, one of the CD shops here and uh, picked up on um, uh, the singer-songwriter Judy Sill, who um, uh, I'd never heard of before. They were just playing her CD. Um, well, she had two CDs, came out on the um, Asylum label. In fact, I'm not sure if the Asylum label might have even been created for her. But anyway, she um, uh, 
she had these two absolutely magnificent sort of a mixture of um if if Bach had written country music, that's how it's sort of been described. And it's just absolutely wonderful. I'd never heard of her before, but you know, they were playing this in the store and I just said, Here's my money, I want the copy. There's always oh, our last copy. I said, Well, go order yourself some more, I'm taking this one. But Ooh. um yeah. I've never heard of her either. Oh I'll I'll send you a link to um some stuff. There's unfortunately it's very little, really little in the way of video footage of her. I, I think there was um a BBC special uh, called uh, uh, it was it, I can't um, which one of the British music shows that any of the American artists went and performed on. So this is like a compilation show of all the Californian artists who performed on this big British show, and I'm, I'm, it's probably something you know really really common, but I don't remember. Uh, old Grey Whistle Test. It was Old Grey Whistle Test. So I think that might be one of the only times that she was caught on. Um, camera performing but uh she had a very very hard life in fact really her her albums are so magnificent uh, the first one i might have to do a um a whole show on that so i'm not going to talk anymore about her um anything else you um, want to want to bring uh, up musically the, the other album that i've been listening to a lot and uh in the course of doing that and doing my show i've found out that uh, that yes are coming to australia in april so i am one very excited uh, very excited camper indeed but i've been listening to steve howe's new album Mm. Called, it's called Time, yes. and his his solo albums have been. Uh, he's made I think twelve or thirteen. Mm. They've all been really consistent. The guys are virtuoso, and that's that's fairly well known. But this one is so different. It's um, it's 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 an orchestrated album. There's no drums on it, and it's it's um, yeah, very flowy, very melancholy. It's it's just the most beautiful thing. It's. Uh, it's it's certainly not a dance album, and it certainly won't take the world by storm. But if uh, if folks are, are anyway uh, a Steve Howe fan, this is this is something very different, but but absolutely magnificent. He's he's uh, collaborated with a, an arranger um, composer by the name of Paul K. Joyce, who apparently has done a lot of TV and and film work. But I'd never heard of him. But his his claim to fame is that he, that he wrote the tune for Bob the Builder. So I'm not. Sure <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so that's where he made his money and Steve House's passion project. I guess so. Yeah. So mm. this is this is a great record. So I'm I, I guess we won't hear anything when uh, when Yes come to play in Australia. But uh, I'm uh, as as much as I'm excited about that. I've only found out on Friday that they're uh, they're playing the Byron Bay Byron Bay Blues Festival Sydney and Melbourne. So uh, it looks like I've got to make another trip to Melbourne in April. I think so. And uh, yes, I, I got your email. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, the Palais Theatre where they're going to be playing. Um, Palais absolutely uh, beautiful. Have, have you been to that theatre before? I I made the trek. My, I bought my son over la about that same time last year. Oh, to see we, discussed, we discussed it. That was at the Palais. Yeah, Palais. Yeah, yeah. So been, um, yeah. it's a beautiful place, and it's 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 just if if anyone's I guess familiar with it in Melbourne from from someone coming from somewhere else in Australia that, that really didn't know what to expect. It's a mind-blowing building when you go in there. It's gorgeous. Um, I mean, the, the building, uh, there was a building next door to it called the Palace, um, which uh, uh, had, had been around for many years. And it was sort of like a, uh, a 2,000 capacity standing um, uh, nightclub where, you know, you got all sorts of bands. I mean, you could... You know, uh, we, we I've, I've been in there many, many times. I saw you know bands like Jeff Healy Band and you know wedding to weddings parties, anything. I think Hoodoo Gurus on their first farewell tour 
Um, I can't even remember. And they were infamous for staying up till one in the morning. And um, I don't think they'd done well in recent years. And then it, it burnt down. And, you know, I mean, of course, you know, tongues will wag, but you know, nothing's been proven. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to say anymore because it could be libelous. Uh, but, um, but yeah, thank goodness that the Palais itself wasn't, um, wasn't touched in the fire. Because, uh, yeah, it is an absolutely gorgeous building, beautiful building. And I think um, about two, three years ago, uh, the, maybe not the last time, but the second to last time when Elvis Costello came to Australia and he played at uh, the Palais Theatre. And he has, you know, he's been here stacks and stacks of times. Um, he, uh, he made mention he was playing a song and he said, you know, oh, when, my, when, I, when my father... Uh, when I was a, a young lad and I was, you know, was getting into music and my father, who was a band leader, said, said to me that, uh, son, one day practice hard and one day you may get to go to Melbourne and play at the Palais Theatre. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I'll, I'll be making the trek over in April indeed. Good. Um, all right, look, I'll, I'll just quickly run through about three or four albums that, um, that have uh, twiddled my dial in uh, recent days. Um, this is actually the first one. This is actually one that uh, I made mention of on the last couple of shows, but um, I love it so much. It's uh, it's hard to keep out of the CD player. It's from a Melbourne group called Clary Brown and the Bangin' Rackets. I know if you've been listening to the show and you're getting sick of me harping on about it, tough luck because I'm probably going to be harping on a lot more. Um, uh, they, they put out a fantastic album uh, about November. Last year, I mean, called Baby Caught the Bus. Now, apparently, they've been around for about two or three years, and it's only once the album came out that I actually heard about them. Uh, and I've got the good fortune to be seeing them in uh, two weeks at a venue not too far from my own place called um, uh, the Caravan Music Club, which is uh, an RSL club that's, but uh, on the inside, it looks fantastic. It looks like an old 1920s musical theatre. Um, really lovely. So, I'm really looking forward to being in uh, that venue and seeing this great act. And I don't know if you've heard anything about Clary. You, you've mentioned them to me and I'm, mm. I'm keen to have a listen. And I, I actually listened to your show, I think on Friday that you mentioned them and, and the story okay. that you, uh, that you, uh, that you shared how they got the name of the band. <laughs> I'm uh, even more keen to, uh, to chase them up. Oh, yeah, at least you can see them on YouTube and there you can see Clary and her banging rackets. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, ba baby caught the bus is, um, uh, definitely a big, big favourite of mine. Still uh, getting a lot of pleasure out of it, so it's going to be really fantastic hearing them uh, play. And um, probably as a good link from from that, uh, Clary went and put up a message on Facebook a couple of days ago, which was the first indicator that I'd had uh, the very sad news this weekend that uh, the great singer Etta James had passed away. And um, Clary had made reference saying you know well she was absolutely one of my influences and um there's no doubt in my mind about how true that is um uh Edith james i think like like a lot of people my first uh, exposure to her music was through the song at last but whereas i think some people might have caught it through you know they seem to play that over and over again in a lot of hollywood melodies of uh, the last 20 years or so but um uh, I, the show that was on TV in the early 90s, uh, my absolute favourite, I took the phone off the hook every time it was on, was uh, Northern Exposure. And they used that song um, in uh, one of the episodes there. And I thought, wow. I mean, that, that show was known for its great music. and uh, But that one really turned my head around. So I went and chased up uh, you know, a couple of her albums. and um, uh, But one that I made sure to listen to over the weekend 
was uh, her live album, Etta Rocks the House. And I think this was out on Chess Records in the mid-1960s. And um, if you're a fan of uh, At Last As I Am and a lot of those uh, sort of uh, string, very syrupy um, uh, string arranged type tunes, and they're wonderful, make no mistake, but you're in for a rude awakening because rock, Etta Rocks the House is really hardcore blues. Uh, she has an absolutely fantastic crack band playing with her, and this would have to be one of my favourite all-time live albums. Um, I don't know if it's still in print, but um, if you can find it, uh, get it, although I guess you know most people you know, preferring now to iTunes to uh, download Big Sigh, says he, um, then that's probably one way you could get it. But if you can get it on CD, it really is well worth your time. Edith James rocks the house. Sounds really interesting. I'm keen to follow that one up. Have you, have you, heard, of, uh, have you heard any of the music of Edith James before? I'm, I'm familiar with the well-known stuff, but, but that album sounds really interesting. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a blues fan, um, you'll love it. And the, the songs on that album just really well suited her voice because as much as I liked... Um, you know, like even the sweetest stuff, but sometimes I thought, you know, on some of the songs, maybe it was like a, uh, a jackhammer trying to open up a, a peanut, um, whereas her, her voice really is well suited for absolutely everything on um, on this album. You know, the, it's 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 really hardcore blues, hard rock and blues. Uh, on this album, and her voice is just absolutely perfect for what you hear there. So, um, yeah, definitely that's one I urge you to uh, to seek out. Um, another couple of albums that have um, been in my consciousness. I've been listening to a lot, but these are just, you know, I've got to save something for the next show. Uh, uh, now, the um, I don't know if you heard the news about the Beach Boys with Brian Wilson have, uh, have reformed 50 years, and this could be absolutely tragic, but... Um, <laughs> Look, I'll probably end up going if they make it down here because I I was stupid enough to not go see Brian Wilson when he came out with his band like both times to Australia uh, in the last 10 years. In fact, I think on one occasion, uh, my my band of the time had a gig uh, booked and I stupidly didn't, you know, call up the venue and say, no, sorry, fuck that. I've got to, I've got to go see Brian Wilson, you know, sue me. Uh, and the time before that, um, so, so at the time of the mist, he was playing Smile from start to finish. And time before that, I think, I don't know if he was doing Pet Sounds from start to finish, or was just doing like a, yeah, the, the Brian Wilson songbook. Uh, but either way, I mean, he had that fantastic band, which, you know, you would have seen on the videos and, and heard on the uh, live albums that he's put out in the last 10 years or so. Uh, but I think, you know, well, yeah, with Brian back in the band and, I don't know why he'll he'll um, he'll balance out the most evil man in rock music, Mr. Mike Love. Uh, so it should should be a. I'm hoping it'll be a good show. I'll, I'll wait and see what the uh, reviews say about the American North American shows, and you know, then pray that they uh, that he, he comes down here. So uh, so why I bring that up? Yes, um, they put out an album, 1972-73. Now about that time, uh, Dennis Wilson had, um, you know, in one of his many uh, fragile moments, I think he'd gotten very drunk and he'd gone and put his fist through uh, through a glass door or a window or something like that. And he was lucky that he didn't cut any veins, but he'd gone and done himself some severe damage. So he wasn't going to play uh, drums live. So they uh, they expanded the band a lot, but they got in on permanently, they got in as a 
member of the band, not as a hired uh, apprentice. They got um, oh 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 um, uh, Ricky Fatar, who um, uh, yes, what a fantastic drummer, Ricky Fatar. Well, he's that, that bastard is an all-round musician. He, he's not just a great drummer; he's a great guitar player. He was a great producer. I mean, you, I don't know if you remember the Rattles, the, um, the, Rattles, the yes. Eric Idle, and, and that's he was the George Harrison guitar replacement you know in, indeed in, in that so and, and he he lived in australia for a time and produced a lot of great albums i think he produced a couple of renee gayer albums and yes, he did. um yes. so but he's he's playing drums on this and they got in a crack guitar player called blondie chaplin i think the two of them had been in a south african group called flame um i'm not sure whether it was mike love or someone else in the band who'd heard them and just brought them on board but ricky fatar was you know, taking the drum suit that otherwise Dennis Wilson would have uh, played for on that tour. And, um, you know, I was speaking before about um, uh, Edda James Rockstar House has been one of my favourite live albums. Well, you know, it might not be cool to say so, but Beach Boys in Concert is another one of my favourite live albums. You wouldn't necessarily think you'd get a great live album out of them, but um, this one with uh, the, the, Beach, the Beach Boys augmented by those two plus... You know, a bunch of other session plays. It just, it sounds fantastic. It's not, it's not soulless or slick like you'd expect with a lot of session players on. It really does have a lot of passion. I think it, uh, it was like on a tour uh, just after their Holland album. So there's a bunch of, um, you know, there's a few songs from that era, from the Holland era. But you know, of course, the real focus is on all the uh, great old tunes. You know, Surfer Girl sounds comes up sounding a treat and. Um, uh, uh, Surfing USA and uh, fun, fun, fun. You know, all those old songs, they, they come out really rocking. It's a, it's a great live album. So I've been listening to that a bit. And probably the final album I'll uh, talk about, we've been speaking 38 minutes, I think, and um, I haven't even talked about the tubes yet. Um, but uh, a, a British artist called Bill Fay. Now, I don't really know much about his story, except that he recorded uh, about two or three great albums in, um, in the 60s. Uh, one called Time of the Resurrection, I think, and another one just called Bill Fay. But I found an album of his, which was just a bunch of demos. And to my ears, I think the demos albums are really better than the, um, the, the, than the albums proper. Um, uh, but he, he sort of like the J.D. Salinger of, um, of uh, uh, the music world. So he was you know, very British, his songs were sort of, uh, his songs didn't sound quite like the Kinks, but he wrote about very British subject matter, and uh, there was no confusing where he was from. But uh, a really, really great songwriter, Bill Fay, and this uh, album of demos is called "From the Bottom of an Old Grandfather Clock." Um, and uh, there's there's a few songs on there that made their ways to albums proper. And in fact, I think some of the songs on this album feature um, a pre-Apple uh, Badfinger playing as his backup band so um so yeah but a, a really unusual songwriter and i know that um jeff tweedy of uh, american band wilco is a huge fan of bill fay might have even done uh, one or two of his songs as part of their live act so um yeah been listening a lot to that in recent weeks as well so um yeah all right well look i think at uh, at this point um how long have we been recording so we've been speaking for 40 minutes but we've been recording for a mere 34. Um, so probably at this stage, we might um, actually have a bit of a break, uh, play, uh, play a couple of promo cards or something like that, 
and then come back and talk about um, what we got together for in the first place, which was to talk about the Tubes album Remote Control. What do you reckon? Very good. All right. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Love That Up. GGTMC Live for you fresh yeah. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. We're back. You're listening to Love That Album, Morris Bishtinsky here in Melbourne and Michael Persh in Adelaide from the Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast. Uh, joining me tonight to talk about um, the uh, album from 1979, the last album that the Tubes recorded on A&M Records called Remote Control. Um, before we get into talking about the album, uh, let's have a little bit of a yak about um, about the origins of the Tubes. Or, or actually, Probably a good question to ask you is um, when did you first become a fan of the Tubes? What was your first? What was the first thing you heard? Well, my my first memory is is actually is not hearing them. It's actually, and I can't remember. It was the music press in Australia, maybe uh, I think Ram magazine or something like that, way back in the the early to mid seventies. And um, I, I remember like photos of the Tubes on stage, and it and it really frightened me. I thought, what the hell of the, what the hell is this? In a, in a similar similar effect to what Frank Zappa had to me was mm. all these weird concert photos and and the tubes never got played on the radio back then. So mm. for for quite a while I, I had no idea although I you know I was conscious of the band and what they looked like but had no idea what they sounded like but but I guess the first tune was was White Punks on Dope and it just was like, wow, what is this? <laughs> But but after that, I, I sort of lost lost them again. And um, when Young and Rich came out in uh, in '76, uh, "Don't Touch Me There" it wasn't a huge hit in Australia, but it did get played for a while on Australian radio. And it did, um, yeah. I think it got banned eventually. Mm. Oh, um, well, it, I've noted not that I listen to it much, but I've noticed that uh, the uh, uh, Golden Oldies radio stations down here. Uh, we never tend to hear "Don't Touch Me There" played for some reason. You know, they, they've got Casey and the Sunshine Band playing "Ad Infinitum" or you know, Captain and Tennille, but never get "Don't Touch Me There." I don't know why. It's it's a sensitive love song, don't you know? Indeed, but uh, but the strange thing is that I never really loved the song, but I went and bought the album, mm. and and the first tune on it, uh, a tune called "Tubes World Tour," is just magnificent. I, I must say, actually, that's strangely enough out of those. Um, early albums that's actually the one album i don't have is young and rich and well yeah and like i said the the others sort of passed me by a little bit and i i rediscovered the tubes when remote control came out and i i subsequently went back and and sort of grabbed the rest of the back catalog mm -hmm. um I, I think possibly like um uh i wouldn't say lots of other people because you know they weren't a big band here but certainly like you know some other people because they got they got a little bit of exposure at the time when um after they'd left A&M Records and, um, well, left, they were dumped, uh, but they got over to um, uh, Capitol Records and recorded the Completion Backward Principle album. And um, it, it, they were uh, obviously not the first band to um, 
to have music videos, but they were probably one of the first bands to have a, like a long form video uh, type deal. You know, up until then, you'd seen like you know you'd watch Countdown or uh, whatever other music show was on television at the time. I think you know Night Moves if you were uh, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, advanced in your taste. Um, but you know there'd, there'd be lots of live performances and lots of video clips. But the Tubes, I, to the best of my knowledge were the first band to record like most or the whole album you know for release on videotape uh with a whole bunch of clips that were maybe not quite thematically linked but had the same look and feel because it was all done by the one director uh that being at the time australian uh, uh director russell mulcahy um so i think you know the big song on the radio at the time or you know moderately successful song was um i don't want to wait anymore and I think to, to a lesser extent after that, talk to you later. So that's, I think, you know, but yeah, like you, seeing um, seeing some of those video clips, and we've got to remember, some of it could not be shown on television back in the day, probably be quite tame by nowadays standards, but um, there was a, like a, a, a record shop um, near where I lived with, um, uh, when I was still living at home, and... Um, that uh, they had, they'd gone and brought in oh, back in the days when VHS tapes were really, really expensive. But one of the few that they had was the Tubes video, and they'd keep it on going in the shop. And you know, I'd go into the shop. I spent you know, most of my non-school time there. You know, you know why I failed chemistry probably, but um, uh, but yeah, I remember just sort of watching this video in the shop and thinking this is the most you know bizarre way out thing I'd ever seen. Uh, certainly from a rock band to do and it was visually very exciting they you know for them it wasn't just about the great music it was about showing you know what an exciting act they had and you know unknown to me at the time was that they'd been doing stuff far well you know because this was comparatively tame to their live show but they'd done they'd been doing this sort of stuff about four five six years already uh in front of live audiences and um i think maybe even fee Weibel made a promotional tour uh, to Australia just to do interviews and stuff like that. But I, I think I remember reading in the paper at the time that you know the Lord Mayor of Melbourne said, "Well, you know, this sick band of uh, perverted rock musicians is not welcome in in uh, Melbourne." And you know, Fee Wabble probably thought, "Well, you know, this stupid fucking country isn't ready for us," or something like that. I don't know. And, and they never never got here, unfortunately. No, never got here. They're um, they're still there. There is still a version of them. Uh, Touring the states, unfortunately, uh, Vince Welnick, one of the two uh, keyboard players in the band, is no longer with us. I, you know, the uh, I think he committed suicide, didn't he? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Uh, about four or five years ago, I was really uh, quite amazed to hear that um, he, uh, after he left the Tubes, he was playing for years with the Grateful Dead. And I thought, yes, yes, how, that's interesting, isn't it? How unusual! How, how very, very different. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so that was certainly my first introduction to the tubes but uh, on the tubes video as well as having like the completion backward principle they also did you know that they had to include uh, a, a video for mondo bondage and white punks on dope and um that sort of got me thinking well i better find the album that these songs are on um and uh you know that being you know, their, their debut uh self-titled album um and that just absolutely blew my mind. It was an absolute world away from um, Completion Backward Principle, which I still like and think it's a great pop album, but they were 
doing something completely different in the beginning. It was, um, uh, I don't know, maybe um, uh, art rock, but you know, rather than singing about tripping on magic mushrooms in the woods, they were singing about consumerism and sex and uh, being satirical on life in America. And there's just uh, rich, rich white kids who had, you know, too much time on their hands and not enough purposefully to do. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, no, fantastic album. Um, probably should actually mention a couple of, well, we've already gone and mentioned, you know, Mondo Bondage and White Punks on Date, but um, probably another good song to mention uh, because I think it was probably a precursor thematically to uh, Remote Control was uh, What Do You Want From Life? Um, I was actually going to um, uh, look up the lyrics and sort of read some of the lyrics on the show because that's just such a funny, funny song. But if you haven't heard it before, folks out there, it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like a, an ode to consumerism and, and uh, the, uh, the, the last minute and a half of the song has Fee Waybill reading out uh, a bunch of prizes that you could get if you're a winner on their Price is Right type of show. Uh, and it's all sorts of weird things and uh, uh, that you could get, but it just basically runs out sort of like a list of um, uh, all the materialistic things that, um, well, you know, Americans, but you know, truth be known, anyone, I guess, in uh, Western culture holds near and dear to themselves. But of course, the final thing was the baby's arm holding an apple, which when I found out what that actually meant, I, I, did, I did have a laugh. <laughs> but but you're right. The the tubes. I think a common theme through their whole career is has been that they've you know taking the Mickey out of uh, out of their own culture, which which I guess we do in Australia and don't know we do it. But mm. um, yeah, and but it, even as you say, completion backward principle still carried on that that theme to an extent, although it was uh, very polished indeed. But there were some great tunes on that record, and th I think the interesting thing about the completion backward principle as the follow-up to remote control back in the days when um, we had vinyl albums that the, the first side of both those albums are so unbelievably strong they, they are, are just yeah. bang 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 fantastic tune one after the other both mm. albums mm. um i while i was doing some research for um, for the show today uh i came across an interview uh that had been done maybe about nine ten years ago with fee Waybill. And the woman interviewing him was actually someone who'd auditioned to be a, uh, a tubes dancer um, <laughs> for you know, one of their live shows. And you know, the band had said, yeah, you're on. But um, I think their manager at the time had said, no, nah, no, nah, don't want her on, but I'm not telling her, you tell her. And, and uh, Fee said, well, are you still pissed about that? He said, well, well you know, I'm going to give you a hard time through the interview. But anyway, so um, she asks him what his memories were of completion backward principle and it, it seems like it was a mixed bag because on the one hand he he still said he to this day he thinks it's the tube's best album and they really they were prepared to do whatever it took to get that bite of the popularity cherry and um they've gone and made all these albums before which uh you know that they had their cult following for sure uh and, and of course you know the critics either loved them or lambasted them they were they really were very divisive but um but you know he, he, he they wanted that bite of the chair and then they got david foster who you know there's the association with toto which is you know not necessarily at least not in my mind a, a good thing but you know they they were determined i guess to have the best of both worlds because they were still 
a band with a strong sense of humor and really some of the songs on the completion backward principles are very funny you know attack of the 50 foot woman i mean that was never <laughs> going to be on a toto album that's for sure but on the other hand he said that the hard thing for the band to take and it really the two were very accomplished musicians but david foster was used to working with toto who you know very 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 slick session musicians and you know, the band often felt a lot of stress at the time not being able to live up to foster's standards and he'd be bringing in uh members of toto to play um i think if, steve luthica played on yep bit, yeah yeah, I th I th yeah uh, luke steve luthica had definitely played and i'm not sure at least one or two others um but uh yeah he said it placed them under a lot of stress and then the follow-up outside inside was really the final straw for them and you know, it was david foster again and an album that it sounds like fee really hated you know he was proud of what they ended up with on on completion backwards but it was a very very stressful time and that's why they decided for their i think their final album in their initial incarnation uh love bomb they got back todd rundgren who was a producer of remote control but i don't know if you've heard that i heard it back at the day and I, I gave it one listen and i couldn't get rid of it quickly enough it was uh, a little bit of a stinker I, I do have it but i must admit that i i haven't it hasn't got a hammering on my turntable no mm, no um I read an interesting quote actually while sort of looking looking about it stuff, and I think this might have been written in the uh, inner sleeve notes for um, uh, an A and M compilation album. It said, "If John Waters, and we're not talking about the Australian actor musician John Waters, we're talking about the American filmmaker John Waters, if John Waters had had a rock band, it would have been the Tubes." And I found <laughs> that really interesting. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's 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 very a very interesting analogy, but it's it's true, and and I think a lot of the a lot of the the subtleties and a lot of the humour behind the tubes was was lost on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, or, or, or I, I mean, I wonder who ended up going to their concerts. Were it people who um, who got the humour and liked the the satire, or were it people who just wanted to see Fee Waybill get his gear off and and simulate fellatio on restyles? I don't know. What do you think? Who knows? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I've never. Um, I've never seen a band live, obviously, and and never I've really very seen very a very little live footage of them. So, uh, as much as I'm I'm keen to uh, to chase them up. So, yeah, I, I, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, when we're on the other side of the world, we we miss some of those great mm. moments in uh, in rock and roll history. Well, I should probably mention just in case you're out there and you haven't seen any of uh you haven't listened to the tubes or maybe you've heard the music but you haven't seen any of the live footage there is plenty of it on uh youtube i think uh, the the one of the two keyboard players in the group a guy called mike cotton um had started putting together uh an hour and a half documentary on the band called the tubes project and he'd amassed a lot of footage from all sorts of places um i think when the gfc hit and he lost finance and that sort of went by the wayside. But a lot of that footage that he found uh, is on the official Tubes channel on YouTube. Um, but um, yeah, look, the, the band, they dealt in all sorts of things. I had uh, uh, Fee Waybill sort of, probably he has more costume changes than Madonna or, or, or Cher for that matter. Um, he, he had all these characters developed. Um, and uh, I think the most famous of them was uh, a character called Quilude, Quilude. Um, and uh, that was a character that he did to do uh, white punks on dope, and he had his bondage character and um, uh, Doctor Strange Kiss, uh, obviously influenced by uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, 
and uh, you know, the, the band were very much a theatrical band. Um, I guess possibly the closest that you can come to comparing them to would be Alice Cooper, but whereas Alice was mm. uh, very much about a, uh, the theatrics of, of horror movies uh, in his in his uh, musical performances, the the tubes were very much about uh, the seedy underbelly, the seedy underlife of um, of uh, uh, America, and um, I, I guess um, if, if we could say before, you know, John Waters had a, had a rock band, it would have been the tubes. I think it pro- probably would be equally fair to say that if David Lynch had a rock band, it would have been the tubes because um, you know, he, he like Lynch. Uh, the two seemed very interested in uh, what was behind the thin veneer of, uh, um, I don't know, I guess what Maxwell Smart would have called niceness <laughs> in, uh, in America, what went on behind the picket fence. And uh, um, they, they attacked it mercilessly, but it could be quite easy to um, uh, mistake them, you know, miss the satire and think that they were you know, just a band that liked to do um, uh, all sorts of uh, lewd and lascivious stuff on stage but you know personally i have no problem with that either <laughs> and you mentioned mike, mike cotton and 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 mike and and prairie prince are, are both very very accomplished graphic artists and, mm. and a lot of the visuals for the tubes you could you can really see their work shine through and and the work those guys i think they're actually have a company together um but the work those guys have done since you can you can really see uh how much impact those two, you know, their artistic flair had on the way the Tubes looked, and it's yeah, quite amazing. Well, there's um a, the Tubes' third album uh, called Now, which um, you know, musically has uh, you mentioned before Frank Zappa's you know, Zappa-esque and and Captain Beefheart influences on it. And I think actually that they even do a Captain Beefheart song uh, on the album. Uh, my head is my only house unless it rains. You know, from I think it's the the Clear Spot, the Clear Spot, or the Clean Kid, or one of those two albums, um, the, the more accessible Captain Beefheart, but um, he was obviously an influence on the on the band. But uh, while I was mentioning it, was that uh, I think Prairie Prince did a fantastic um, uh, album cover for that uh, for that particular album. So um, yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to get an idea of just how talented a graphic artist Prairie Prince is, uh, just type in the Tubes now um, and uh, see what he came up with. You're really quite a great. Uh, album cover there. Yeah, very very talented gentlemen they are indeed, and uh, Prairie Prince is one um, a drummer that doesn't get uh, the kudos he deserves. He's a he's not a, not flashy in in the way I guess drummers get noticed, but he has chops that uh, that oh, yeah. really that really he's one. Of, I think he's one of the few drummers in the world that that can every little accent he plays in any tune should be there he doesn't overplay but it's just magnificently accents the the tunes that he's playing with yeah i think i want to mention to you that i've got an album uh by um the guitarist dick dale whose fortunes got revived after pulp fiction um and and and, uh, he he did a couple of uh really great albums and one of them was called unknown territory or something territory and prairie prince is one of a um two drummer rhythm section on on that uh band, on that album and this is just an album that has to be played loud you know turn it to 11. um but yeah the the, the drum work all the more impressive I mean, it would be fantastic just hearing him play just by himself but the two of them to get to get coordinated like that 
for two drummers to play together, it's it's really very very difficult. And the fact that they do it so well and so loud, and that really, I mean, two drummers, they had to have two drummers just to keep up with someone of the Dick Dale's volume, really. So, um, yeah, great album there. But um, at this stage, what I want to do is I want to ask you to relate to our listeners the story that you mentioned about you've been trying to get an interview with Fee Weibel for um, for a little while now, haven't you, Michael? Well, I've, I've been trying to chase up Fee Weibel and Prairie Prince for quite a while, and... Um, I've 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 got no response out of Prairie Prince, unfortunately, and um, be, and I would love to talk to him because he's done so much uh, session work as well. I, I, folks may not be all that familiar with him because I guess out of those circles, he's not a really well-known drummer. But he's he was a a founder member of Journey. He's played on I think the first four or five Chris Isaac albums. He he's played sessions with XTC and everybody. So you know I would love to talk to him, but I. I've actually contacted Fee Weibel uh, a few times, and um, and and he's he's been good enough to reply to me. And uh, it's quite you know, even in his emails, you can you can sort of feel that he's he's a funny guy, and he, which makes me want to talk to him even even more. But um, I've also sort of hammered him a bit, you know. Please bring the band to Australia in in typical fanboy fashion. But <laughs> um, he's yeah, he's he's sort of. Um, I think the last email he uh, he sent me, he, he referred to me as the. The, the loony fan from Australia or something to that effect. So, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if, if guys like that, that, you know, I guess they don't get a lot of feedback from, from places like Australia because they do still play regularly in the States. Um, you know, how, how much there are people out here that, that really, you know, do remember them and, and, uh, and, and know and love them. So, uh, yeah, we, we keep knocking on the door. So I think it would be a a bit tricky for like the current incarnation. I think there's about four of them in the um, current lineup uh, uh, of the Tubes, who um, are from you know, the the lineup of um, that we know and love from the '70s and early '80s. But I, I think you know, probably finances, and I know they did have financial troubles in the '80s. Um, finances and lack of you know huge popularity have probably prevented them from doing a show that's too theatrical. And whilst the music does stand up on its own merits. Um, I imagine that if you were to bring them out to here uh, without really a whole swarm of uh, songs that were really immensely popular, then the big selling point would be this band does a great theatrical live show and they probably they, they can't afford to tour the States with that anymore. I, I don't imagine. Oh. I mean, look, I've seen a couple of YouTube clips of, um, of what they're doing now. I mean, look, Fee, if you're listening to this, don't sue me if I'm wrong. But a couple of film clips that I've seen on them, on YouTube, you know, fan uh, fan photograph stuff just has them playing it straight, which, you know, musically they've got the chops and I'd still go see them. But, you know, to bring them, to bring them out to Australia, I imagine would be a, a pretty big call unless um, they had a big theatrical show and, you know, Fee was prepared to do the whole Mondo bondage thing again, which... I don't know. Maybe at his age would be a dangerous thing. But once again, don't sue me, Phil, if I, uh, Fee, if I'm if I'm saying something libelous. Well, I don't know. Fingers fingers crossed. Hollywood will put a tubes tune in some some popular movie, and uh, the world will rediscover them again, and uh, we'll have another turn. That'd be great. All right. Look, um, I think well we've we've gone and yapped on enough about the tubes in general. Let's um, let's maybe take another break at this point, and when we come back, we'll talk about um, remote control. What do you reckon? 
Sounds like a fine idea. All right, Michael. Uh, we'll be back in uh, a minute. You're listening to Love That Album with Morris and Michael. This is a great jump film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the Girls on Film Radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com And we're back. Uh, Morris here, Michael over in Adelaide, and we're talking about the Tubes, the band. Uh, well, actually, where, they, 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 I think they started out performing properly, and they're known about being uh, from San Francisco. But I think, uh, from what I read on, on uh, Wikipedia, apparently they um, started out as schoolmates uh, in um, uh, in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. Didn't know that. Okay, no, I didn't know that either. Well, there, there you go. Um, so, um, yeah, so look, yeah, we've spoken a bit about um, the albums that led up to uh, Remote Control. Actually, probably one more little diversion I should probably make before we sort of talk about the album. Um, I'd forgotten until very, very recently that they actually did have a brief role in an otherwise dreadful film. Oh, yeah, Xanadu. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> oh god! They, I, I was I was really amazed when um, six months ago here in Melbourne, all the trams were plastered with ads for a live production of Xanadu. And mm. to this day, I still have no idea where it was because none of the main theatres, like you know the Princess Theatre or the uh, or uh, Her Majesty's Theatre, which normally puts on these you know, these big Broadway musicals. Um, none of the that they weren't showing, so I've no idea where the theatre actually was. But they were, I was thinking, my God, they actually—it was such an awful film. And um, here they here they are—they actually see fit that people's nostalgia limit is such that they'd be willing to fork out money to say, but I don't know. It lasted for a while, so maybe people did go. But I'd be interested to know whether there was a group who did the Tubes song or half song from uh, from that film. I have a wall of vinyl in the in the, the room that I have my pool table in, and, and there's a few uh, LPs that my wife managed to uh, to uh, bring along when we got married many years ago, and, and that is one of them. And she had a, a large sticker with her name on it, <laughs> and I have never taken it off because I will not. Uh, Wouldn't want to be associated with it. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, look, let's um, let's talk about remote control. Now, you mentioned something really interesting to me, which. I mean, makes perfect sense, but I did not know this, which was that. Well, no, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Tell us where did remote control come from? What was, what was the inspiration behind the album? Well, um, apparently, and I found this out much later, was uh, a, a Jerry Krasinski book called Being There, mm. and and at the time, and I think the movie came out at a similar time. Uh, the Peter Sellers uh, starred in, in the. The movie being there, which I think was his last movie. Uh, no, actually, it was it was his the second last second movie. I think the finished product. Yes, Dr. That was awful. Uh, well, you know what? I was a kid at the time, and I had no taste, and I loved it. But um, but I can understand why you know, the uh, why the film fans would have liked to have dreamt. I, mean, I think they've probably just sort of gone and 
uh, become very revisionist in this one and said, well, you know, the last real film was, uh, was being there. But um, I'm embarrassed to say that it took our conversation of last week for me to actually go out and hire being there because I never watched it and I'm so embarrassed about that. And when I watched it this week, I just you absolutely... Didn't like it. I loved it. Absolutely it loved it. Um, and, you know, had he... Um, it would have been interesting, interesting to see, you know, if he'd, um, uh, if he'd lived longer, you know, where he would have gone. Because, like, nowadays it seems it's the thing about, you know, uh, comedians, um, not, and not necessarily anywhere near as talented as Sellers was, but, you know, you get your, your Jim Carrey's and Robin Williams, who I do think is talented, but, you know, they all seem to sort of like, so well, they thought that comedy for them had a limited shelf life and they sort of went off. Uh, to do more dramatic things, and, and and you know certainly you know Sellers wasn't only making zany Pink Panther type comedies, but this was really for him a, a big change of direction. Certainly from a lot of what he'd done in the seventies. So, um, but um, yeah, no, I, I found that really uh, really uh, interesting news that you mentioned that to me last week. So I had to go out and watch that. So for you know for you know the one or two people on you know, who are listening to this who probably haven't seen it. Uh, or, or if you all have shame on me for doubting you, but um, uh, a, a, this, this chance the gardener works in a for a very wealthy uh, fellow and who, who dies in his sleep, and uh, chance is evicted off the property, but you know, circumstance and fate um, has him uh, welcomed into um, the home of, um, of a, a, a politician or political advisor and uh, his wife and um, every uh, basically uh, the Peter Sellers character Chance the Gardener who gets mistakenly referred to as Chauncey Gardener uh, has not spent um, any of his life living outside the confines of the house that he had lived in and worked the garden for so he's a very simple man and all he's ever done or everything he knows about the world is from television He's, he's just been completely addicted to television. Uh, when he um, finds himself in this politician's house or, or political advisor's house, he keeps saying all these things that people can't believe that he'd say something that simple. And they think, oh, it must be a metaphor for, for this. Geez, he's really very wise and very clever. And um, uh, it, it's just, it was a really wonderful black comedy. Um, with black, uh, an unusual piece, a black comedy with a heart. I think you know, not not as cynical as a lot of them are, but um, so, uh, I haven't been able to look at Shirley MacLaine in the same way. So. Uh, well, I I got to I got to confess, you know, I, I I looked at her and I thought, mm, yeah, she was she was quite cute, she was quite cute, even you know at, at that stage, I think. But um, uh, I think the only I, I've really seen precious little Shirley MacLaine. I think uh, the apartment with Jack Lemmon is maybe the only other uh, full Shirley MacLaine film that I've seen but I love her in both so um, but yeah look that was that was a that was a great film and thank you for uh, bringing that to my attention but what has that got to do with the tube's remote control well remote control I don't know see how you feel about this Michael but um, I don't think that remote control is so much of a concept album but more the soundtrack for a rock music film or a Broadway musical that just never got written. What do you reckon? Yeah, I guess so. When when you you know, I didn't I didn't actually make the connection between the two 
for, for quite a number of years after as well. And and I, I went back and listened to Remote Control trying to, to sort of see if there were obvious ties up with the movie. And there's, 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 there is things there, but it's it's really not a soundtrack that you, you could really tie up with being there. But no. Um, yeah, I, no, I do agree. It's it's, but uh, you know, especially on side two, there's a, a a run of three or so songs that that really, you know, are a very similar theme, I guess. So, yeah, I, a concept album it is, but it's yeah, I'm not sure how that would sort of pan. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm keen to see how the because uh, yeah, the, there is a that you kindly sent me the uh, the concert DVD, which I haven't yep. had a chance to have a look at. So I'm very interested to see like how they portrayed it in a, in a context of the show. Look, it's not so much um, uh, told as a story there. It's just it's just a bunch of songs. There's some songs from Remote Control and there's White Punks on Dope and there's Don't Touch Me There. So it's just, it's just a bunch of songs thrown together, but um, but done in a very theatrical way. And um, uh, all I'll say is if you have any very young children in the house, keep them away from this DVD, especially during uh, the early part of TV is King, which will get to when we but well let's talk about the songs on the album itself um do you want to um do you want to go i'd like to go song by song do you have anything that you want to start off with we'll talk about turn me on um yeah just just firstly i just wanted to to just the, i guess that there were two really weird things about this album for me that sure. that really that absolutely floored me was the the fact that that at the time this was certainly one of my favorite albums uh full stop and i just played it at infinitum to the to the point where and I, I guess a lot of people say you know they've played a, a vinyl album so much that they've, they've worn it out but but I, I literally did destroy <laughs> my vinyl copy of this I had um, I had a turntable uh, within within distance to my drum kit in my living in my bedroom yeah. and headphones into the turntable and I played this note for note over and over again and as you do, you get a little overzealous sometimes, and the uh, the needle would jump, and my uh, vinyl copy of this, which which I guess reminds me that I have never seen a CD copy of Remote Control. So uh, I, I, I think it was I think it was uh, available for a time, um, but um, and I've, I've seen in fact because I, I know I've seen pictures on um, on the internet of uh, you know, front cover, back cover, no, the back cover of the album. Actually, is different. So the back cover of the CD is different to the back cover of the uh, vinyl album. Because uh, that's a great photograph. I'm, I'm almost sure it's been uh, re-released in the um, uh, in the 2000s uh, um, uh, by I can't remember the name of the company, but you know, like a lot of a lot of um, a lot of albums that you know, come on labels like A and M uh, end up um, on. Small labels, small archival labels. Once the uh, the main company says no, we're not interested in this, we'll sublet it to you. We're not going to release it, so we'll get a little bit of money off you for paying for the rights and um, do what you want with it. So I think it came out on a small label. But if you if you look on Amazon, I think you can get it on CD. But and but, and I guess the other the other thing that really floored me about being there, the movie was I love that movie and and I these two sort of followed me around but I had no idea at the time that they were related so that's you know that's spooky <laughs> it must it must have been a really nice um, a nice revelation for you when uh, you actually made the connection yeah totally it was like oh wow and, mm. and it, as I said before it gave me a, another a different perspective on going back and listening to it but, mm. um, but yeah turn me on the op- the opening song just grabs you doesn't it? it's such a such a punchy song such a killer song 
Uh, look, I imagine, see, one other thing, folks, I should mention that uh, Michael and I have in common is that we're both drummers. And uh, I imagine that, um, like me, you probably spent a long time uh, bashing this particular song out on, on the drum kit because it's not a... It's, it's not got lots of, you know, it, it, this is a 4-4 song. This is a straight ahead rock beat, but it is so powerful. And, and that, as I mentioned before, that shows what a great drummer Prairie Prince is because, you know, pretty much he's just keeping time and throwing accents in there and he's just magnificent. Mm -hmm. uh, look, I mean, I th the thing that sort of struck me straight away when you listen to... Um, uh, to turn me on, I mean, this is this is like the album's calling card. Uh, it sets up lyrically what the album is going to be about, uh, which we'll get to in a sec. And it sets up musically. This is like, say, hi, we're here, pay us attention. <clears throat> you, you, this is. I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't like it, but this is not a song which I, I imagine you'd say, meh. This is this is um, if you're a fan of uh, a great rock song, uh, and there's some great harmonies on it, which is also my passion. Um, and a, and a wonderful lyric, but this is, um, yeah, it's a great album opener, one of the, one of the great album openers, I, I, I think. Uh, and the other thing I like about it is, uh, I think you notice this more on this album than, you know, sort of their, um, than any of their other albums. Uh, I guess Mike Cotton's electronics, you know, with his, uh, with his keyboards. I think Prairie Prince is more the piano player, wasn't he? But um, Mike, Mike, yeah, but Mike Cotton uh, brought in a lot of electronics. Uh, and electronic keyboard sounds to the band. And so I thought it was like quite an interesting uh, juxtaposition of the the rockin' sound of, you know, Prairie Prince on the drum kit and uh, Roger Steen's um, and, and Bill Spooner's uh, guitars as juxtaposed to um, Mike Cotton's electronic sounds on his, his keyboard. And really, sometimes these experiments don't work, but I think uh, it, it really works on this album. And, and um, you know, it, it, Really, the, the the first the first twenty seconds you hear uh, this thumping sort of Michael Cotton uh, electronic keyboard until the band kicks in, and it's just such a great combination. It really works. It is, and it's it, it reminds me. I back back in the day, I and I, I still am a Kraftwerk fan, and and I can hear that sort of stuff coming through in that, and it's definitely it's, it's turned that into a real. Um, I guess stadium rock sort of tune, which mm. I I just loved, and it, the yeah I agree the the keyboard playing on this tune and the whole album really lifts it to another level. Mm. Mm. Uh, look, I mean, uh, okay, so if you know we take this as being the um, the uh, soundtrack for a for a film, I mean, like let's say you know you the, back in the early eighties, what did we have? We had Footloose, we had Xanadu. Um, and this has gone to a darker place, which is probably why it's never made into a film. Um, but you'll have to ask Fee Wable that when he, when he does acquiesce to the interview by um, But look, it, it, so if we take this as a musical, so this opening song, Turn Me On, um, uh, you know, has our anti-hero, if you want to call him that, uh, proclaiming his love for the tube. You know, this great lyric, turn me on again and again, say you're always going to be my friend, love me like you mean it, make a mess and clean it, don't you stop till I tell you when. So, you know, is this television as a replacement for sex? Um, and, you know, there, there is sort of like, really there um, lies uh, maybe what makes this album still relevant if people would bother to listen to it because really you know if the album today could have been 
called, I don't know, you think of it, think of an internet replacement for remote control, but um, oh, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's really lyrically, oh, story-wise, it's still completely relevant. Um, and uh, it really, I, I, I think, it, especially like in these days of you know, 24 hours, being able to access anything you want on television, on the internet, and um, you know, the, our, our singer here, you know, he, our, our anti-hero here, he's uh, proclaiming his absolute love for you know, for the tube, and it's it's a replacement for sex. That, that's what rock and roll is. It's all about you know, it's all about sex, and you know, just because you're singing about television doesn't mean that you can't have anything to do with sex. And really, the tubes were, um, you know, with some previous songs like Monday Bondage, you know, shows where they stood on that. Um, and actually, that probably leads on to the uh, second song, TV is King. When you watch the DVD, uh, Michael, that I sent you, um, uh, one little bit has um, Fee Wavell, uh, you know, talking to the audience and saying, wow, you know, geez, I'm feeling really tired after that last song. I think I'll just turn on some television. What's on the TV? And he's standing on top of the television and, and uh, you know, turns, he turns it on. And of course, what comes on? But, uh, I, I don't know, you've heard of an actor called John Holmes. I mean, it looked like some... <laughs> uh, I, I think it might have been one of his movies. I'm not sure, I don't know. So, so this is this is not a band that uh, played uh, played uh, children's tea parties, i tell you what. And, and TV, when TV is King is, I think, one of the, the few tunes from Remote Control that the band still has in their live set, from what I understand. So okay. I think that's really interesting. But it, it is a really strong song, but it... When I go back to it and listen to it now, it reminds me of um, what U2 did and took Zoo TV. Uh, it, you know, they didn't invent it. The Tubes invented it. Mm. U2 took that concept and, and took it onto a stage. But the, I, I think the first two tunes indeed on this on this album sort of lead to that, to, you know, a, a, what, um, what U2 did with that and took... Um, you know, television to its absolute extreme in a concert setting. Yep, yep. Um, I, I think you know this song also continues on with the theme of the opening, the opening song, uh, and you know. It, but I, I, it shows that you know our anti-hero is in a world all his own. Uh, pretty much like Chauncey Gardner was, you know, with him uh, in being there. You know, for Peter Sellers' character, everything he knows about the world, he knows from television and the, you know this some of the great lyrics like I wish I had the girl with the bouncy hair we'd ride off in a brand new car or fly a plane somewhere you know, he, he's obviously what's the price is right or too many shampoo ads or something like that and, um, and there's lots of great references to, to old you know American game shows in this tune as well which, mm, is, mm. which is really good um, and but it, it's interesting that you know, it, it seems like you know, this this lyric we sort of know right where this guy is and he's got he's a bit of a sad sort of character but the music never judges him the mu the music itself is still very bouncy and keeping it's in keeping with our character's mood not what we as an audience would think about him for being so 24-hour TV obsessed. Mm, mm, totally, and and I think the first three tunes on the album really would fit any of them as sort of opening sequences of of being there. They would, they would all, you know, you could use any of them. All right, well, you mentioned the first three tunes. Let's talk about Primetime. You want to uh, take the lead on this? Well, Primetime was the single that, that I, I guess got a reasonable amount of airplay in Australia and I think did very well. And, yeah, I, I guess it, it's the one album, the song on the album too that 
that features Ree Styles quite a bit, which is is a she's you know she's a great counterpoint to um, to Fee Wabel. And and actually, I, I'm not sure whatever happened to her. I, I I I do vaguely remember that she she's done some musical theatre stuff, but mm. she's she really just disappeared. I I have no idea why they didn't make you know much use of her. I mean, I think to the best of my knowledge, she um, she appears on that song. She's on. Um, don't touch me there on Young and Rich, and I know that she's listed as being on the, the third album now, but uh, I really, maybe it's been a while since I listened to it, but I really can't recall any song that I actually hear her singing on, but she's listed as a member of the band. But um, but yeah, no, never really got that much out of it, which is a, a shame, because you know, she had a, a half-decent voice and um, served as a good uh, counterpoint to uh, Fee Wavell, I don't know. Indeed, and... and um... I guess TV is king, and this one really, for me, um, Todd Rundgren has his stamp on, on these tunes, that, and there's there's plenty more in, in the album that are just so Todd Rundgren, but but this one as well, just the the lavishness and the lushness that is associated with Todd Rundgren's production really comes out on this, and and there's a he he released an album last year, and I, I we had a conversation last week, and I, I know you're not uh, you don't know a lot about Todd Rundgren, but um, He's one of these guys that um, he's, he's, he reminds me a bit of Neil Young in the in the way that everything he does, and he's very prolific. He will he will release two to three albums every year, wow. uh, but they're so different, so totally different. And he's the, he, he put out a uh, an album last year called Reconstructed, which is um, a collection of songs from many of the bands that he's produced over you know thirty years or forty years, and he's done a version of this. And it's so different, and and a lovely version indeed. And um, well, of prime time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's it's really just really stripped back, and it's it it also shows what a what a great tune it is. And I guess at the time, it was the tune that got flogged on the radio, and, and probably the tune that I paid the least attention to. Yeah, it's um it, it, while um uh, having a look at recently at uh, allmusic.com and um. Uh, they had a review of the album, which was actually really, really favourable. I know that Rolling Stone had uh, hung hung a lot of shit on it, and I think don't think Billboard was terribly kind to it back in the day. But all music really liked it, and they said that this was um, uh, like the Tube's sleazy uh, lounge crooner type tune. Mm, yeah, and well, Todd Rundgren's version of this has taken that to another level. <laughs> mm. Uh, see the other interesting thing. Just while I was trying to think of um, notes to write for um, for uh, the podcast, um, you know, on the one hand, it could just sort of like if you took it as a single, and you, you said it was a single, so you could just sort of like listen to it as a as an ordinary love song. But put it back in the context of the album, I tend to think of this as you know, Fee Waybell is playing once again in our story of our unproduced Broadway musical. He's playing our characters, you know, sitting in his room with his. Uh, potato chips and his TV dinners and never never ventures that and like Chauncey Gardner everything he sees everything he knows about the world is from television so he's singing this song to you know he the ideal woman as he sees her on probably something like I don't know Dallas or or the bold and the beautiful or something like that this is not a real woman this is um, this is someone who he's serenading who in his mind uh, she doesn't exist, but 
And that's once again question for Fee Waybell if you're listening. Indeed, and and this is this is one song that I that I, I totally agree with that. But it, it didn't really the penny really didn't drop for me until I knew that you know found out the tie up between being them, and it, it just opened up a, a whole whole another perspective to especially this tune. Mm. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the fourth song on the album is called I Want It All Now. And, you know, for all the fact that, you know, nowadays us baby boomer types, you know, we go and accuse, you know, Gen Y and, well, I don't know, whatever they call them, uh, about being, you know, greedy and greed is good and all that sort of thing. Um, really, this song takes to that hypocrisy because um, our, our character here, you know, he's singing, you know, he wants it all. Um, uh, the, was it the first verse he's singing? What's on the other side of the wall seems like my world has gotten so small. Where are the friends who don't ever call? Is there an answer to these questions at all? When will they come and open the door? I can't hold out anymore. I want it all now. Um, and it's, it's an interesting, this is sort of a, a call and response thing between Fee and the rest of the band who are singing this, um, you know, this response harmony sort of thing where you know he, he's singing I want it all now I want it all someday somehow I want it all now and they're singing look hang on just take it one day at a time don't be too greedy you can't have it all you just be happy with what you've got and just take what things one thing I, I, and that really that is probably the song that summed it up where I came to this idea yeah that, that's why this is a musical I could just sort of imagine you know, you've got these uh, you know Fee Wade or whoever roaming the stage and the, uh, these dancers come out of nowhere, these, the chorus comes out of nowhere and starts singing, you know, ragging their fingers, hang on, just take it one day at a time, but he's ignoring them because, well, they're just the chorus. Um, but, um, but yeah, this, this song to me sort of reads like an explicit reference to shows like uh, The Price is Right, but really any game show will suffice, you know. It, um, it, I don't know, it always really amazes me that people are sort of willing to go on TV to, you know, purely for um, uh, to, you know, just to win a batch of prizes or to jump up and down and scream like a, you know, a bunch of guys. I mean, there I go being judgmental, but it seems like that's really what uh, Fee is singing about in this song. His character is saying, oh, I want it all now. I want, you know, he, he's been locked away in his room all this time. And, you know, gee, if I, if I wish it, it will come true. I don't need to go out and work. I don't need to earn money. I don't need to do anything except just if I want it, I need to go on TV and then I can have everything I want. And, and also, yeah, I, I agree. And when you, li- when you also listen to the song in the context of, you know, late 70s television coming out of the United States, it's, it's very much like that, although I guess <laughs> not too much of it's changed. No, no, not at all. Uh, actually, so I was also going to mention... Um, uh, I think the, the bridge sort of changes pace a little bit. You sort of you go, they go into, um, so it goes from like being a straight rock song to a bit of a ballad. I mean, to a, a slightly reggae-ish feel. But this lyric in the bridge shows him um, sort of going briefly off the materialistic side thing, but he's still like really in la la land. He's, when he sings, "What's it like to kiss a real girl? To think you're in love and get married to her? To have lots of children and grow fat and old and die like a fish on the end of a of a pole?" Um, so you know he's he's being judgmental of of the rest of us. I guess like I'm being judgmental of him, but um, yeah, no, yeah, great song and uh, yeah, as, as you've also kind of pointed out there, uh, it, it's still going on. 
in the context of the movie, it's it's also you know you find yourself as you watch Peter Sellers' character. Does he think? Is he thinking these things? You, you never really know. And that, and that's I think that's a lovely part of the character in the movie that you um, you would think from our point of view not being not living the way he's lived, having television as your only your only perspective in life. That mm. we think well, you must be thinking this, but you know quite often there's just this blankness. And mm. and I guess one of the one of the scenes in the movie that really that really stood out for me that that sort of illustrates that was um, mm. when he when he go into an elevator. That, that he'd go up and down in the elevator, but he, he didn't actually seem to... Uh, he thought that someone... Well, when the doors of the elevator closed, that someone quickly changed around the furniture in the room and mm. opened the door again. And that's, yes. you know, that's one of the best best parts of the movie. That is just classic. It, it, it was very funny. Also, that, um, that misunderstood conversation between him and, uh, and uh, the guy who was escorting him up. So, you know, they uh, I think one of them is talking about. Uh, I think Peter Sellers is saying, "Oh, I've never been in one of these," referring to the elevator, and and uh, the guy who's escorting him, you know, thinks he's talking about the wheelchair that he's sitting in. And that wonderful missed conversation is fantastic. Um, all right, so the end of what would have been side one of the final album, which I'm proud to say, or maybe I shouldn't be proud, but I, I'm happy to say, it's still in very, very good nick. Then it goes and say like I've not been playing it enough, but I have played it. Uh, yeah, so it's like end of side one, no way out, and it's an interesting way to end side one of the album because up until now um, we've seen our main character exhibit nothing but euphoria over the prospect of watching TV, and it's his or his whole world. And for some reason that we don't know because we haven't got the film, uh, all the stuff, but. At this point, it's almost like he's feeling something's happening. He's feeling trapped. Uh, he's singing, "There is no way out. I'm stuck behind the window, tangled in the wires, and burned by electricity. And there's no place left to go for me." So um, he, you know, he acknowledges, oh, you know, "TV is it, but this is this is the only life I know." But it is really the first time he's showing anything less than complete devotion and enthusiasm to it. Mm, mm. Maybe a, 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 a soundtrack to the sequel of being there that was never made. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and and the, the guitar solo on this is, I'm, I'm 90% sure it's Todd Rundgren. He has such a uh, an, a, a style of his own. And, and yes. um, yeah, all, and again, as I guess what happened with Completion Backward Principle, um, I'm, but I guess in a different way because Todd didn't bring in any, any other musicians. But but certainly on, on most things that he's produced, he's picked up a guitar or a keyboard or done something. He's such an accomplished musician. And I guess folks that that aren't familiar with Todd Rundgren, um, he produced Meatloaf, Spat Out of Hell, and played played a lot of guitar on that. And uh, if you go back and listen to it, you can certainly hear. So small. Okay, uh, so that was the end side one of the album. So it. What would be really unusual if this were a Broadway recording album, the overture, so, so side two of the album opens up with this, uh, a, a, an instrumental piece called Get Overture, and it, you know, it does serve as a bit of a um, uh, musical odds and sods, bits and pieces, you know, recalling some of the themes and motifs from the album, and you know, one would have thought, well, this is supposed to be playing at side one of the album, isn't it? But then again, when you had a song as strong as... Uh, 
turned me on. I guess you couldn't mm. open up with Get Overture, but um, it, is, it is. But an interesting thing. I, I wonder if they would have done that on a, in a CD format where that wasn't the opening of Side Two. I, I, I think they would have they would have tracked that very differently. Mm, they could have, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, there you go. Uh, instrumental piece. Um, now, okay. So we get to Side Two. You now you mentioned before that. Uh, you know, side one here was the really strong side. And I completely agree with you on that. I mean, it's, a, it's an overall great album, but I feel that you know the next couple of songs, well, you know, there's no bad song in this album, but they lag a little bit. So uh, the next song, No Mercy. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I haven't actually got much. To I guess yeah. The, the next three, No Mercy, and, and the, the following two tunes for me are a bit, you know, just variations on a theme, um, and and maybe. You know, as as the the end of side one got a bit darker, we've gone back to you know what could be, I guess, really just sort of love songs for for two or three songs. And but I guess the the thing about No Mercy that really stands out for me is is how lush the vocals are. It's just the most. Again, I keep I keep saying Todd Rundgren is is just has his stamp over this album, and um, this one really vocally is just all Todd Rundgren. Yep. If, you, if, if you go and listen to some of his stuff. Uh, you'll see what I mean. He, he released an album about the same time, which which did very well in Australia. It's called The Hermit of Mink Hollow. Okay. And, and he played every instrument on it. And that album, yeah, has, has for me anyway, has some, some sort of musical tie-ups with remote control, just just in the way the sounds come out and, and how lush both albums are. But, um, yeah, I guess that's that's the thing that, that really stands out for me about uh, you know, No Mercy is... Um, is the vocals and and how how strong the vocals of the tunes were and I, you know, I, I'm very very interested to see the live stuff and see uh, how that translates. Mm, mm. Uh, the next song after that was uh, only the strong survive. I mean, look lyrically, I didn't find this particularly interesting. Just sort of another song about you know a downtrodden person having to learn to be strong to cope. Uh, and I'm not sure, like, you know, in, this, in our great story about our anti-hero, where this really fits in. But the thing that I, I sort of found interesting was there was a... It, it, the, ver- the song veers, like, from a bit of a rock feel in the verses to something of a, uh, a, a white boy funk feel mm. on, the, on the chorus with, um, with uh, somewhat, I don't know, maybe early Earth, Wind and Fire type harmonies or... Or I don't know. It's totally good. Yeah, yeah, but um, lyrically not so interesting. And I, I keep coming back to this. I guess um, uh, uh, the music on the album, for the most part, has been really, really great. But because it got such an interesting concept, this one sort of focusing so much on the lyrics here. And uh, um, yeah, but other, otherwise, I don't know. You have anything that you want to add about that? Song? No, the, 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 I'm, I'm exactly exactly the same. The thing that really stands out for me about only the strong survive is the is the the funk sort of chops that are in there but yeah. but that's that's a theme that also is buried in a lot of tubes albums it's it's and a, and a lovely part of their playing that there's there's that that pops up often and i really like it. Mm. um probably just to divert from this album for a moment um the final album that they did with uh, david foster or the other one after completely backwards principle uh called outside inside which real i think the album sort of for the most part, dies after the first two or three songs. But one song that I think appears on side two that I think is 
really the equal of anything that they've done uh, as a great funk number called the tip of my tongue. I mean, there's some uh, maybe childish Beavis and Butthead allusions to um, fellatio and cunning linguists and all that, but, but that aside, um, it is absolute, really very, very tight funk tune and um, you know, thanks in no small part to uh, you know, really the great rhythm section of uh, Prairie Prince and Rick Anderson on bass. We haven't mentioned him yet. Um, but yeah, really, a, a really great uh, funk feel there with, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure who the horn section was, can't remember. But um, I don't know, is that a song you've heard? Have you, have you heard much of that album? No, no. I, like I said, I've, I've, I, I own it and I've played it, but it really just has passed me by. Mm. But, uh, I will be, uh, I'll be going back and having another mm, Yep. Uh, Alright, so getting back to remote control, so there was, um, so following all, another song by this, uh, Be Mine Tonight, which was sort of like a fairly mid-tempo, mid-pace uh, pop song, really, if anything, and if this was, uh, once again, coming back to the common words I'm saying all throughout this show, if this was a musical, um, this is the point where I think our hero, or anti-hero, um, really confides in um, a real-life uh, girl or woman who he finally figures might be his saviour, might pull him out of the house, pull him away from the TV, pull him out from this uh, life that um, where he hasn't known anything else. Um, uh, the very first time I saw you there, I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought I was the winner of the prices right and they let me keep every prize. So even though she's going to be his saviour, um, he still has to catch everything in television metaphors, but um, I, I sort of see that. So it, it, it's really still part of that tube's sense of humour, um, and I, I sort of see that as a good precursor to the second last song on the album, which is "Love's a Mystery," where there's there's no television metaphors. This is just a straight out love song, a really beautiful one. You want to talk about this one, Michael? Yeah, well, "Love is a Mystery" is is actually. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I've said it so many times, but, but this is actually co-write with Todd Rundgren, and and this one again is just could be on any Todd Rundgren album. So uh, yeah, it's very much. But but I think also for me the Be Mine Tonight and Love Is a Mystery could could maybe be you know the background music for the the Shirley MacLaine scene we uh, we spoke about earlier. I won't, yes, yes. I won't go into detail to that if people aren't familiar, but it's uh, it's probably worth watching the movie just for that because it is very fun. Mm. I also um, uh, saw this maybe like because I don't think they've done too much in the way of ballads till now, and I saw this as um, uh, I don't know musically anyway as a precursor to. Uh, uh, I don't want to wait anymore from mm, yeah. uh, completion backward principle album. Um, I don't think they've done anything that was a straight out ballad. Although I mean, I, I think I've made known on my blog that I sort of find um, I don't want to wait anymore. Even though it's musically gorgeous, it's lyrically and I don't know any song that has a lyric like "lost, trapped in the freezing cold, barely alive, have to make love to survive." I mean, eh. Okay, unless someone can convince me, no, no, you haven't got it. It's the tubes being funny. It's a, it's a piss take thing. All right, fair enough. Uh, but, yeah. but, but this song, this song isn't in that vein. This song, I actually really do think is quite a touching tune. Mm, yes, I agree. But I, and I, I'm, I guess I, yeah, um, the both both the tunes are 
they've, I guess they are quite different for the tubes. I, I never really thought of that. And it's, it's interesting that the, I guess it shows again, um, you know, what great musicians they are and how diverse they can be. I don't want to wait anymore. I do agree with you that it's 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 lightweight, but when you when you listen to it, it just you just float away with it. And and I find myself thinking, you know, how the hell does Fee Wable sing that high? Like, well, he doesn't. It's that's Bill Sperner. Ah, okay. I, I, I know nowadays in the um, in the uh, in their live shows because Bill Spooner's no longer with the band, but Fee Wable now sings it. But when you watch the Tubes video, not the um, not the remote control. DVD, but the uh, Russell Mulcahy one that I've sent you, um, you see, yeah, it's, it's Bill Spooner singing that one. Wow. But, but it's it's scary because, you know, his voice is really not that dissimilar to um, to Fee Wable, so it was an easy, uh, it's easy to mistake one for the other, but yeah, no, that's that's, uh, that's Mr. Spooner. Interesting. Mm. I'll look forward to seeing that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, yeah, that uh, Love's a Mystery, I Don't Understand. Um, our character, he's, he. I, I guess it's an interesting thing because you know uh, he's he's um, talking about the things that you know. Well, if love's supposed to make you feel really good, then you know why do I feel so confused? Which you know is an emotion that you know all of us lovelorn schlebs have probably felt at some stage you know in our in our adolescence. But you know it's even more relevant here because this is this guy who, uh, even though I haven't seen the film, but you know from what I understand, like Bad Boy Bubby has finally come out of the house. And um, finally come out of the room, and he's he's in the real world, and you know, love's a mystery. I don't understand. Hang on, you know, on the TV, didn't they? Um, you know, two people met. They looked, they locked eyes, and they walked off into the sunset. And you know, why am I feeling this? What's what's this all about? And you know, it's it's you know, I'm a, a topic that's been covered, you know, millions and millions of pop songs over the last you know how you know, sixty years of history of rock music, but. Um, it, it's in spite of itself, it's really quite touching here, I think. And and I think any other band that had made this album would have left that as the last tune and let that hang. Well, actually, it's interesting. In a way, they do. We'll 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 come to that in a sec. Let's talk about Telecide. It's just for me, it's just the most amazing end to the album. It's just, I guess, it sort of takes it around back to. To the starting point, the same energy has turned me on, but it's just such a, a rocketing fast tune. And mm. uh, the thing I love about it lyrically is, I guess it it, it reminds me of something like um, "End of the World as We Know It," the REM tune, where I it's was, just it's was, just you know just rocketing out this stuff. Just you can't keep up with how quickly the the uh, the, the words are coming out. But it's it's a great tune, isn't it? I was I was going to um, yeah actually mention the same thing that the REM comparison and you know. For better or for worse, well, probably for worse, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, which was really a rip-off of The End of the World as We Know It anyway. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a, a list song. Um, and, uh, you know, for, well, okay, for those of you who haven't heard it out there, um, let me just read you a couple of verses. So the opening verse, Listen, boys and girls, about the other world. It's just a day job, night job, odd job, nose job, hand job, blow job, rack job, snow job, boring nine-to-five job, rather have a knob job. <laughs> And it's it's funny. It's real. It, it, it's funny, and yet tragic at the same time, because you get the impression that, and this is probably why it would never make it on in the Hollywood movie. Our character has been confused by love, and the girl who he 
the girl who he uh, fell in love with, you know, couldn't cope with you know, him living in a world where everything existed as it did on TV, dumped him and then so he's gone back to gone back to the TV viewing room and he's just decided to kill himself by watching too much television or something like that. Um, and he even has a, a great line out of that wonderful uh, Paddy Chayefsky film of 1976 network, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, yes, indeed. And and as you said, with it, you know, if you if you think about this album as a as a possible musical, you know, this would be the the encore number where they didn't quite turn the lights off, but the the less patient among us have started to leave their seats and just wham, you know, the show ain't over yet. Yep. Well, so the interesting thing about this, because um, remember you said like any other band would have finished with "Love's a Mystery," I don't understand and yet they go on to do something like Telesite, but I don't know how long it's been since you listened to it, but the last minute they, they sort of, you know, they, they, um, you think they're going to fade the song out or they're going to play this, play Telesite out, which is this hard rockin' number. And then, um, Prairie plays like a gong or a cymbal does a roll. And then it leads into like a, um, what do they call them in a, a reprise, a reprise yes. of, um, of love's a mystery. I don't understand. And, to this day, I don't know why, unless it's unless it's to sort of show it's a really sad ending. It could That's have when they been. They roll the credits, mate. It could have been so different, you know. He, the the this woman couldn't give him the love he craved, and but it might have been different. So they decide. So in a way, they do chicken out. Yeah, and I and I guess it sort of ties up for me. The, the way the the end of being there in the movie hangs yes. a little that um, you know if if there was a being there too does the does Peter Sellers character go on and become the president of the United States as as you uh, as it's left sort of hanging at the end of the movie oh well they they sort of did do that they called it yes minister <laughs> uh, you know a, an idiot in the top job wasn't it <laughs> well, I think it's part of the course but yeah. <laughs> well I think that takes us to um, to the end of um, our discussion of remote control and um, the end of another episode of um, uh, Love That Album. I was really convinced that this was going to be you know, maybe a one-hour show, but I think what we, we've ended up speaking for uh, an hour and 45, hour and 50 minutes, and it's been absolutely wonderful and very, very enjoyable. It's not going to do wonders for me getting up at quarter past six tomorrow morning for work, but, <laughs> but you know, we do what we got to. Indeed, um, I've, I've enjoyed it, mate, and and it's it is a great album, man. I I think it's maybe been overlooked, and uh, hopefully people will uh, might remember it or go and seek it out. Yeah, absolutely. If um, if you've never heard it, if you're only aware of uh, the completion backward principle, please go back and search out remote control. It's really if you if you like completion backward principle, remote control um, musically is not too much of a stretch it's it's a long stretch between completion backward principle and going back to their first album because they're really uh, in on, on diff, two different planets but they're both uh and i mean this in a in a in a, in a positive sense they're both commercial pop albums but really for, certainly at least in remote control sense with very clever lyrics and very funny and very satirical but um, you know, they were a band with something to say. I know that, as I said, the, the Rolling Stone guy absolutely slagged it off and said it was all way too obvious and, and uh, it's just boring stadium rock. But I think he completely missed the point. And I don't know. Hopefully, if he's still around today, he's uh, revised his opinions. But uh, like you, this is um, 
certainly a favourite Tubes album and, and just a great album all over. Indeed, and uh, yeah, I agree that I yeah, I think he, the reviewer missed the point totally the, and the, the themes are still totally relevant today. Well, more so than ever, I think, really. Uh, with the you know, twenty-four hour internet access and downloads, and we want something. Well, we want to download it now. But uh, uh, so, look. Anyway, look, once again, Michael, thank you so much for um, being uh, a guest on Love That Album, and um, I hope this is the first of many shows that we'll be able to do together over the year. I look forward to it. Yeah, thank you. I had a ball. It was good fun. And once again, for um, for those uh, those folks out there who uh, want to track you down, um, give us uh, so. How do they find you? A gratuitous plug. Yes, indeed. Oh, no, uh, nothing's gratuitous here. <laughs> Sitting in a bar in Adelaide, if you do the Google thing or where uh, you can find it at Adelaide Rock Show, that's all one word, .mevio.com. And if anyone's in Adelaide or surrounding districts, come and see uh, come and see my band, 4AM Unplugged. We're at um, the Angus Plains Winery on Australia Day. That's the two plugs for the price of one. Oh, good Lord. That's fantastic. And uh, for those of you out there, well, I might as well give my own band a bit of a plug. Why not? It's my podcast. <laughs> um, I'm in an acapella group called the Ice Halos, and we're going to be playing at the Newstead Music Festival uh, on starting on Australia Day, uh, January 26, uh, near the uh, Victorian city of, uh, or town of Castle, Maine, uh, not too far from Bendigo. So if you're in the area, uh, please come on down. A lot of... Uh, a lot of great acts will be playing down there, more in a folk music sort of vein. Uh, and um, But a big highlight, I think, for me is that uh, Broderick Smith, who is probably an artist we should tackle at some stage, uh, will be uh, putting in an appearance at the festival. And um, Broderick Smith has an absolutely mighty voice and uh, a huge figure on the Australian music scene back in the 70s. Love him to death. Mm. All right. Uh, and yeah, I guess my own housekeeping. Um, I'm not sure how, uh, if you're listening to this, I don't know how you've uh, found it, but I'll give you all the options in, uh, in case you want other options to uh, download this podcast. You can look for it as Love That Album, all one word, in iTunes, or you can stream it or download it from the website lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Um, I'd love some feedback. I really would. It's good for my ego. Um, and if for no other reason, let me know that you're out there listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. And um, uh, if you have a suggestion for an album that you'd like to hear uh, talked about on the program, I'd love those suggestions. That'd be fantastic. Uh, you can send me an email at rrrkitchen, or one word, rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Uh, I should probably set up a Facebook page, but I'd probably get depressed if no one joins, so I, I probably won't worry about that. Uh, but um, anyway, so, um, yep, look, hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing Michael and myself talk about uh, the Tubes Remote Control album tonight in... I should be back in a couple of weeks, and uh, my uh, uh, compadre uh, from somewhat closer, living in Melbourne, Jeff Smith, and I will discuss uh, Suzanne Vega's album of... 1980 something forgot the year um uh solitude standing um i actually at first wanted to talk about her album 99.9 fahrenheit degrees but um uh, we'll talk predominantly about solitude standing but i will make mention of 99.9 fahrenheit degrees because that was um, a real change of pace for her so it's probably worth talking a little bit about that at least so um yep i look forward to your company and michael once again thanks for joining me Cheers, thank you. All right, no worries. And we'll see you uh, all soon on Love That Album. Cheers.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.